This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Amen. How awesome is that to be able to be a part of just something like that, just be an extension of our family. I can personally say that Martin and Kim Dale are the real deal. Um, they, Martin is actually probably one of the most influential people in my life. Um, he impacted me at a very young age. I uh, went to Houston for the first time and worked with him at the, about the age around 17. And uh, wow, did I not know what was going on in the world. Uh, came from a very small town. Um, didn't really see a lot of the things that I saw in Houston. It opened my eyes to the world and the things that go on and the struggles that some people have. Um, it's very eye-awakening when you're a 17, 18-year-old boy and you get a call and you're, well, Martin gets a call and you're with him and he says, we got to go get a, get a kid because the mom has to go work uh, on the streets and uh, she's left the kid in a crack house with somebody, you know, and so she's asked that we would come in and get her and then you walk in and you're stepping over people who are passed out in this room and there's 20 people there and you don't know any of them, there's heroin out everywhere, drugs of all kind, alcohol, and you're just like, people live like this? And it's just a very eye-opening experience, and that's their life. That's what they do. Uh, They're in that every day. Um, Everybody on the streets of Houston know who they are, and they know that they care. And uh, they have quite the reputation um, with everyone, from gang members to, to anyone. They all know who Martin and Kim Dale are, and it's just an awesome experience to be able to be a part of what they're doing in, in Houston, Texas, and um, man, we're going to be taking a trip there next year as a church, uh, like he said, and uh, if you'd like to get a part of that, uh, that'd be something that you'd look forward to, to to sign up, and it'd be an awesome trip, be a life-changing trip, because um, I know that it um, radically changed my life um, as growing up as a young man, and just seeing the world in a, in a little bit of a different lens, but um, it's really cool that I get to back that up, because what I'm talking about today is is has a little bit to do about that because we all find ourselves in situations and in different areas in life where we feel, you know, stuck almost. Like, it's like, I just can't get past this. And, and we find ourselves in those situations. It could be a financial situation. We feel like we're, it's just a repeat every day of just making ends meet, making things just happen just so that we can keep gas in the car, keep the rent paid, keep the lights on, keep food on the table. And it just it feels like a rat race. And you may be stuck in one of those types of situations, it feels like. Maybe a relational situation. Maybe you and your spouse are just, seems like you're at it. Or it may be a son or a daughter or um, a, a close friend or somebody like that. And you're just trying to reconcile and figure out what in the world needs to happen here. And you feel like you're in this constant cycle could be circumstantial. It could be your job. could be that you're in a job that when you first started, you loved it, but then you have one of those people that you love dearly that works with you um, who really makes it things difficult for you daily. And you're like, I really would like this job if that person wasn't there or if this situation wasn't happening or if my boss wasn't this way may find ourselves that way. It might be psychological. Maybe something that has happened in your past. Um, that maybe it's something you did or something that's happened to you, and you just relive that uh, that moment. Uh, maybe not daily. It may be weekly. It may be monthly. It may be just periodically. Uh, 
um, but you relive those things. And so we live, though, in a very therapy-driven culture who likes to just, instead of dealing with those issues, we like to cope with it. We like to medicate it. We like to just get something just to kind of downplay things. Um, and just, let's not deal with the situation. Let's just, just medicate things. And that, that's kind of the way our society works. That's kind of the way that we as society in the area that we live in, the world that we live in, as far as our world, what we see daily, that's kind of how we live. We want to um, just cope with things instead of, instead of dealing with it. So we create a habit loop around these things. We create a habit loop of, of how, to, how we cope with things instead of dealing with it. We just, if we just do this, we'll be okay. You know, it could be the financial thing. If we just make this amount of money, we'll be, we'll be able to do this. And if we just do this in our relationship, if we don't push these types of buttons, if we don't say these types of things, we'll just, we'll deal with it. You know, if, if I just um, take this medication, it will downplay the things that have happened in my life and I won't have to think about it. And we, we become and we are creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. And I heard this term when I was very young. My dad actually told me this whenever we were out um, deer hunting one time. And he was, we were actually, it was before deer season. We were going out to set up some new stands. And I was like, Dad, you know, how do you know where to put these things, you know? And he said, well, the thing is, he said, you see these different trails. And there was paths that deer had walked. He goes, deer are creatures of habit. He said, they do a lot of the same things daily. And it's a, it's a routine they get through. You just have to figure out the routine. And be there at the right time. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool. And he, he said, but we as humans are habit, are creatures of habit also. And I was like, okay. He goes, just think about the things you do daily. Something that I do daily is brush my teeth. First thing when I get up in the morning. I just can't go do anything. I can't drink coffee. I can't eat. And nothing tastes right. It's like all that morning breath, all mixed up in there. It just don't taste right. I got to get that out, you know. And so that's one thing that just happens daily. I mean, as soon as I wake up, I'm going to go brush my teeth because I cannot stand the, the taste in my mouth. And so that's just something small. We all have our, our different things that we do that are habits that people see and pick up on. And then we, if we really watch ourselves, we pick up on ourselves. Now, there are companies that actually target this, and Target is one of them. They're the best at doing this. They are the best company in the world picking up on people's habits. And actually, they thought themselves to be so good that they said, you know what, let's see if we can figure out if our customers that are walking through the door that are female, let's see if we can figure out which ones are pregnant or not. How do you do that? Well, they said, and then why would you even want to do that? Well, they said, here's the thing. A lady, from the time that she gets pregnant to the time the baby's a year old, that family will spend $6,000 on that child preparing for the child or taking care of the child. They're like, we want to get in on that. There's a lot of baby making happening. And if we can get into some of that, we're going to do pretty well as a company. So they set out to do this analysis of people. And they got really, really good at it. And actually, they're so good at it that they can tell you pretty much how far along you are in your pregnancy just by what you buy. You know that little red card, 5% savings every time? It's a tracking device for you. They pick up on what you're buying, and they know exactly what it is. 
You see, the thing that they also know is whenever a tired dad gets sent out to get diapers, if they can put a coupon in that family's household that says, hey, you can go, the wife says, hey, go pick up some diapers, here's a coupon, go to Target. He's going to walk in about half asleep. Oh, I need some milk too. Some bread. Need this. He just walks through and starts throwing stuff in because we're tired parents. We don't want to go anywhere else and look for the best deal. We just want to go to sleep, you know? And so we just go and we, we just get different things. We get our whole thing done. We don't care if it's on sale or not. That one coupon got us there, though. And so they specialize what they send you in the mail. Anybody ever got Target coupons in the mail? Okay? Those are specialized to you. They're not just a generic thing. You're special. You're special to them. They have picked up on what you buy, and they insert little things in there to kind of camouflage it. And they got so good at this that they would send these out when they first started. And there was actually a guy when they first started this who walked into a Target and was irate and said, I demand to talk to a manager. And so the manager came out, and he, and he holds up the coupon booklet. He said, how dare you send this to me? He says, what are you talking about, sir? It's just some coupons. He goes, this is coupons for diapers and breast cream and all kinds of stuff. He goes, you sent this to my 17-year-old daughter. He said, are you trying to say that she needs to be, get pregnant? He said, I'm so sorry, sir. He said, I don't know why that got sent to you. I apologize, everything. And the guy was just really upset. And so uh, the next day, the manager said, I really got to you know, apologize to this guy. So he calls him back and he says, sir, I am so sorry for what happened. And the guy stops and he goes, no, let me, let me stop you for a second. He said, I need to apologize to you. He said, I'm going to find out there's some things that have been happening in my household that I was unaware of. He said, my daughter's actually two or three months pregnant now. The guy found out from Target that his wife, that his daughter was pregnant. How horrible is that? That's crazy. What's crazy is, is we have such habits that can be picked up on and analyzed and seen that someone, a company, can figure out exactly where we are in life just by what we spend our money on. Isn't that crazy? Think about what you eat every day. Think about it. If you listed everything that you ate, if you go back and take about 40 days into consideration, you go, there's really not a lot of variety here. I really eat the same thing over and over again. Because we're creatures of habit. New things, ooh. You know, I mean, that's a little weird. My wife bought some cranberries the other day. I'm like, what are cran- what is the cranberries for? She was like, I don't know. They were on sale. I was like, never eaten a cranberry before. I wonder what it tastes like. So me and the two kids, we go, you ready? That's really bitter. So then I searched. I was like, I Googled it. I'm like, can you eat cranberries? They're like, yeah, they're really good for you if you can take the bitterness. I'm like, okay. Good for you. Cranberry's good. Tastes bad, though. <laughs> but if they're good for me, you know, I'll keep eating them for a little while um, until I can't take it anymore. But the thing is, is we're in, we have these habits that we have in life, and it's a circle that we go through. And, and things that people struggle with, maybe it's an addiction that they struggle with, they find that they fall back into these habit loops even maybe after they've gotten over them. Because they didn't really deal with the core issue of things. Because you got to figure out what caused you to fall into those things in the first place. Because what happens is, 
they get in a really good spot in life and they overcome these things and they're really good and then something happens in life that causes them to feel really down. Uh-oh, I feel really down right now. And they seclude themselves, which is the worst thing to do from everyone else and they're alone with their thoughts. And what is their mind, what is their voice telling them? You're a loser. How could you do this? You know what? Why don't we just go do what we used to do? We, we'd feel, you'll at least feel better for a second. And they fall right back into the trap. And you go, what? Why? Why did you, you've been good for so many years. And you fall right back into that because the core issue wasn't dealt with. And there was a cue. Now we operate off of cue and rewards and habits. And the cue was, you feel bad. The reward is a satisfaction for a little while. And you're searching for that reward. And so they go back and they fall right back into that habit loop, not even knowing why. So how do we ever deal with that? How do we ever deal with the core issue of things? Well, let's look into the Word of God. Let's look in Romans 12. I know we studied this a couple of weeks ago. And Pastor Derek will be back next week. Two weeks without Pastor Derek? Oh my goodness, you guys have fun next week, okay? He's going to have a lot to say. You guys, if anybody knows him, if you've been here long enough, you know what I'm talking about. He's going to be excited to talk. So that's just him, and he is awesome at it. Um, let's, look, let's look at Romans 12 and 1. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let's stop just a second. Let's remember what's going on. Let's remember what's happening right here and who Paul is talking to. He's talking to the, the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome. And, he's, and the thing is, is, things have been a certain way for a really, really long time, okay? But Jesus comes, he just totally messes everything up, all right? Everybody's trying to get their, their heads around this and like, so you're telling me that Jesus was the Son of God and He did these things and I don't have to like sacrifice things and I don't have to do this anymore, but He actually paid the penalty for me and I just need to accept Him. And it's not just Jews, but Gentiles. All of us are able to be a part of this. It's what you're telling us. And this is what Paul has been telling them the whole time. He's been going through all their doctrine and saying, this is what this meant in the Old Testament. This is what the law meant. It was all building up to this moment. He was explaining all of this. And then he transitions right here. And this is what he's talking about. And then let's go in verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The customs had been a certain way for so long. He said, don't copy these. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. These are standalones. There's an and in between them. He didn't just couple them all together with some commas. He said, let's make sure we separate these. God's will for us is good, number one. It's good for us. It's good for him. It's for our benefit. It's pleasing. It's pleasing to God. We have a plan and a purpose, remember? It's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to us. We find enjoyment in it. And it's perfect. God's perfect. He set things up to be perfect. We mess it up a lot of times, though. But to get to that point, 
to learn God's will for us, we have to change the way we think. Change the way we think about things. You see, a lot of times people who are in certain situations, who have had these past wounds, they think about themselves in a certain way because of maybe what someone else said about them or was what was told to them or maybe what they said about themselves. And so they're stuck in this habit cycle of thinking about themselves and speaking about themselves a certain way. How do you change the way you think, though? You change the way you think by the way you speak. By the way you speak. We're going to get in that in just a second. I heard this quote the other day by James Russell Lavelle. No one can produce great things who is not thoroughly sincere in dealing with himself. Number one, we've got to deal with ourselves. I believe there's greatness on the inside of each and every one of us. Great things. Now, greatness is not always leading troops into war and being the man in war. Greatness is not always doing this grand thing and, making a, and being a billionaire. You need to understand something. Greatness can be a lo- being a loving father and a loving husband, a loving wife, great mother. What is greatness to you? All of us have the ability to do great things, but most of us never will because we talk ourselves out of doing things before we ever start. Maybe it had like a great opportunity come up, be presented to you before. You're like, that's really good. I think that's going to be really cool. And how many of you talked yourself out of that opportunity? Am I the only one? Okay. Malone. It's Okay. You talked yourself out of it, didn't you? How many of you said, you know, my, my life may have been a little different if I would have chosen that opportunity? How many of you took that opportunity and said, my life really would have been a lot different if I hadn't have chosen that opportunity? Yeah. But what happens? As soon as an opportunity is brought to you, what, do you be, what begins to happen? Wheels begin to turn. Words begin to be said, Right? And we run everything through our subconscious filter. We go, okay, I'm capable of doing this. And I'm capable of doing that. I'm not capable of doing that. Who said you weren't? You said you weren't. Exactly, right? A lot of times we'll go, well, you know what? I, you know, I, I really don't even have the time. You know, I, I, I really don't even have the money to do that. It would be really good. It would put me in a great Financial spot. I really don't even have the money to do that. I, I, I don't even have the technology to do that. Or the management skills. Or the experience. Or the contacts. And when the list goes on and on of the things that we begin to tell ourselves and we talk ourselves out of it, right? Who spoke you out of it? Who talked you out of it? Yourself. Yourself. There was a guy, um, I won't give his name, but he uh, started this company whenever he was about 18 years old in advertising. And he started out just with a little bit of nothing. Um, He was just straight out of college. He had worked for this advertising firm, kind of learned the ways. And he started this advertising firm and he built it up, built it up, and he sold it and then went to work for this other company and built that company up and, and then went to work for another company and built that company up. And he retired at the age of 55. Now, he started out with nothing. At the age of 55, he retired being worth $500 million. 
Pretty smart guy, pretty sharp, done a few things. And so he went three years. He goes, man, this is great, retired. So he went about three years and he realized he was super bored. There's really nothing to do. Only so much money can buy. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to use what I know and get into another company. So he bought out another company, which was a very big investment. It was actually all of his investment. A $500 million investment that he went into. He went all in. Company grew and grew and grew. Got up to where it was worth almost a billion dollars. And then two years later, the recession happened. And not only was his company not worth a billion dollars, it wasn't worth 500 million. He was actually a hundred million dollars in debt. Now, some of us begin to look at that, kind of, that situation and go, oh shoot, this is not good. Let me just go crawl in a hole somewhere. How am I going to pay back a hundred million dollars? But that's not what he did at all. Actually, he said, you know what, I'm going to go back to what I know. And that is advertising. So he went back, just like when he was 18, and at age 58, started a new advertising company in Southern California. Built the company, built the company. In eight years, sold it for $1 billion. Now, that's quite a turnaround, and that's not the norm. But the thing is, that guy had to have a lot of willpower and a lot of good self-talk going on to be able to overcome a situation like that. You know what I'm saying? He didn't sit there in the, in the moment and go, for 40 years I worked and built this up and now look at me. Not only am I not even worth where I was at whenever I retired... I owe people money. Why did I ever make that decision? And that's what we do a lot of times, right? Beat ourselves up. Work it over and over in our head. He goes, no, you know what? All this stuff's resources. All this stuff's resources. Let me ask you a question. Who owns all of the resources? God, right? He designed, created everything. He owns all the resources. It's what you do with resources. It's how you're resourceful. Whether you become successful in life. And remember I said successful is different for everyone. We talk about wealth. Who in here has ever said I'd like to be wealthy? Well, let me ask you a question. What, what is your definition of wealth as far as for you personally? Where would you say that I am wealthy when I get to this point in life? Any takers? Out of debt. Be able to give whatever you want, okay? Huh? Vacation home. Anybody else? Retirement, okay. It's all really good. This is what we normally say. But I want us to look at the, the root of what it means to be wealthy. It simply means this, any, having anything of worth. 
How many of you have anything of worth in your life? I mean, the same people that raise your hand, I mean, you perceive yourself not to be wealthy. It's about a perception. Because here's the thing, we could look at all these successful people, we'd even look at that guy and when he was worth a million dollars and go, wow, you're wealthy. I'm sure there were people when he was $100 million, $100 million in debt would go, wow, you're poor. It's funny how that changes with just his, their, our perception of what wealth is because we look at material things. And we look at people and go, wow, that's awesome. There are people, we, we took a trip to, to uh, Haiti last year. You could even go to Houston. And people would look at you and go, wow, you're wealthy. Wow, you really have things going on. You have an air conditioner and a heater. You have a car. You know where your next meal is coming from. You can actually go buy it. It's perception of where you're at in life. It's a perception of what wealth is, what success is. Now, do I believe that you need to strive and do all you can to be better? Absolutely. Absolutely. But don't create a habit loop of saying, I can't be successful, I can't be wealthy, I can't do these things because of this, because of that. I am successful, I am wealthy. You know what, I do have some good things going for me. Let me tell you a little story. There was a, once a great king. I love stories. There was once a great king. He was one of the greatest kings that anyone has ever known. He had a great kingdom. Actually, it was the greatest kingdom in all the world. And people would come from all over to look at this king and just go, wow, your kingdom is unlike any other. This is amazing. You know, soon the king kind of grew tired of that. And he said, you know what? He said, not only do I want to be the best king that has the best kingdom, I want to be the best king that has two of the best kingdoms. So he started a whole other kingdom. And he grew and grew and grew that kingdom. The kingdom got bigger and it got bigger and it got bigger. Now he had two of the best kingdoms in the whole world. People come all over, wow, you are successful the wealth that you have, oh my goodness. You know, soon he got tired of that. He said, there's got to be more. I want more. And then someone came to him one day and told him about this monk that would walk around and do good for people. All he owned was a sleeping bag and a little lamp. And talked about how happy this guy was. And the king said, I got to meet this guy. And they said, Well, here's the thing. This guy's pretty special. See that lamp that he carries? It has some special powers. It'll give you anything that you want. Actually, not only will it give you anything that you want, it'll give it to you twice, double. The king said, I got to have that. So, king asked that the monk come and see him. Monk comes and bows down to the king and says, Oh, great king, you are a great king. He said, wow, look at what you've, what you've accomplished in life. 
this is amazing. He says, is there anything that I could do for you? He said, let me ask you, is it true all you have is a sleeping bag and, this, and a lamp? And he said, yeah, that's it. He said, are you happy? Absolutely. He said, I, in fact, I, I think myself as being wealthy. <laughs> King was like, really? Yeah, he said, I, I get to be a part of it, all these people's lives and do good for them and do all these great things. He said, well, how do you survive? He said, well, they, in return, will feed me or allow me to sleep places. And he said, well, I'm, I'm intrigued by your lamp. He said, um, he said, it looks like it's a really heavy lamp and um, kind of old. And he said, I tell you what, he said, I got a new lamp right here. He said, it's actually made lighter. It's got gold plating on it. It's beautiful. It'll probably be even more light for you and put off more heat for you when it gets cold. And the monk said, oh, great king, I, you know, I, I thank you so much for the, the kind gesture, but I must pass, he said, because this lamp is the only family heirloom I have. It's been passed down from generation to generation. It's, it's, it's special and precious to me. And uh, the king said, well, is there anything I can do? And he said, king, I'm sorry. He said, there's nothing you can do. He said, is there anything that I can do for you? And he said, no, he said, I want your lamp. He said, king, I'm sorry. And he walks out the door. So the king sends his servants and guards after him, and they beat the monk in the street. They take his lamp. They bring it back to the king. The king goes into a room, locks the door, and tells everybody, get out. Get out of here. Leave me alone. So he begins to talk to the lamp. He says, lamp, you really possess the power that it says. Give me a piece of gold. And the lamp begins to talk to him. Very cool. (laughs) He says, oh, great king, why ask for one piece of gold when I can give you two? It's true. It really is true. This is the coolest thing ever. Fine, give me two pieces of gold. This is great. He said, oh, great king, why should I give you two when I can give you four? Fine, four, four. Why give you four when I can give you eight? Eight. Oh, great king, why think so small? Why not think bigger? Fine, give me a hundred pieces of gold. King, a hundred pieces of gold? That's it? Why not ask for more? And this goes back and forth, back and forth, and the king is driving himself crazy, going, I'm thinking too small here. I need to be thinking bigger. And he stays in there for three to four days and never eats, drinks, or sleeps, but talks to this lamp and dies. He dies. Asking for more and more and more and more and more. Wanting more and more and more. And forgot about the basic things. You need to eat, you need to sleep. You need to drink some water. Those are essential things. You see, he forgot about the things that were really important. He just looked at the material possession, the things that he could get. And the lamp knew that, so he just kept going. We'll go as long as you want. I can give you more and more and more. We'll just keep talking this out. See, it's about perception. There are six needs psychologists say us as human beings that we need. Six needs. Ultimately, we need God. We need Jesus Christ in our life. The psychologists, this is what they say. The first four needs of the personality. And the first need is certainty. 
Everybody needs some certainty in life, don't they? Keeps you sane. Certain things are going to happen and that's good. I have some certain things that are going to happen, certain needs that are going to take care of. I have some certainty in life. Allows me to stay sane. Also, we need a little uncertainty also. Because if everything was certain, it would get a little boring in life. We need a little flavor. Things keep, keep things exciting. So we need a little uncertainty. But we also need some significance. We need significance in life. We need to know that we're cared for. We need to know that people know who we are. It's always drove me crazy to wonder how a teenager, a young man, could maybe pull a gun on someone that they don't even know, a complete stranger. I've always been, when I see that on the news, I'm like, what is going on that that could even happen? But again, to think about this, that young man is looking for significance in life. He knows, ultimately, when I pull that gun, I've got significance. People are going to know who I am. The guy on the other end of the barrel is going to know that I'm significant. The gangs are going to know who I am, that I'm significant. Also, there's a level of certainty there. I'm certain that I'm in control right now. There's a little uncertainty also. I mean, heck, we don't know what's going to happen. This is fun, right? And so thinking about that, I'm going, it all boils back to significance. Which brings us to connection and love. A lot of times, that's usually out of whack in those types of situations. Connection and love. We as human beings need connection and we need love. We have to have it. Our personality needs it. And then the last two are needs of the Spirit. And then we need to grow. We must be growing. Because if we're not growing, we're becoming stagnant and ultimately dying, right? We have to be growing. We have to be pushing ourselves. We have to be learning. Remember just like kind of gone through the same routine, 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 and woke up about five years later and went, what just happened? I've done that before. And go, where did all that time go? Because really, I just remember getting up doing the same thing every day going through the same thing, never really learning anything, and feeling almost like a little hamster going on the wheel, you know? Because we weren't growing. Things weren't changing. Things weren't evolving in our life. I'm not talking about buying a house every week. It's material things. It's about growing here. Growing here. Okay? The last thing is we need to contribute beyond ourselves. In other words, be a part of something that's bigger than just you. We're part of something that's bigger than us. We saw a video this morning. We contribute to something that's something that we can't even touch, but we're a part of it. Martin and Kim, working in Houston. All the other missionaries we're a part of. Part of something bigger right here is, is a church family. We're part of something bigger than that, the body of Christ. Contribute to something beyond ourselves. We contribute to the body 
of Christ. Ultimately, that brings about so much significance and growth and certainty. See, the whole thing is, some of you guys are in community groups, some of you aren't. You don't really know how vital those groups are to you. Now, here's how I used to think about groups like that. I'd be like, been a long day at work. I'm tired. Kid's tired. I really don't want to spend another time away from my family. But then God began to show me and change my perspective on that a little bit. Instead of looking at his time away from family, you need to start looking at his time with family. You're right. It is time with family. This is family that I'm going to spend eternity with. This is family I need to check on. That I need to build up and be a part of their lives. You see, what we normally do and what, how I was raised, church is you go to church on the weekend. You go through a certain routine. How many of you have a certain routine when you walk in the doors here every week? Think about it. You got a certain routine you do, right? You either go check the kids in or you go get your coffee or, hey, if you're smart, one of you goes checks the kids in, one of you goes get the coffee and you meet back here. I've seen some people do that before. You have certain places you sit. This group's always right here. Always see you guys, yeah. You always have certain seats that you go to. It's comfort, you know. We have a certain routine. And then people go and they move the couches out in the cafe. What in the world? Just mess my world up. God, these people can't leave anything alone around here. I don't even understand it. They were just fine over there. A little spot I could sit after service, meet everybody, wave. Now I got to go over there. Just messed everything up. Some gets thrown into our routine, but we have these certain routines that we go through every day that define our lives. But the thing about the community groups is it hits all of these six things. Because what's happening is, is you're changing the way you look at church. Because church is not about the weekend. Your faith is not about the weekend. It's day to day. It's life. This is who you are. It's not something you just come and do. You don't just come to a weekend service to hear a great message to get a little fill up so you can make it through the week and go, Oh, that was good. Yeah, I feel good. Go watch some football now, eat something. Yeah, we'll make it through the week. And then by Friday, you're like, Oh, I don't know, I feel so bad. I really need to go back to church, hear a good wor- message, good word. That's kind of what we do. But when we begin to think about plugging something else into that, having those connections in life, it's kind of hard to feel significant sometimes in a group of 500 people. You go, I can't talk to pastor. I never can get his attention. Somebody else else is always around him. I don't feel significant. I don't feel like I'm contributing to anything. But all of that is met inside of those groups. We take care of each other. We grow 
And ultimately, we become self-feeders. We begin to learn how to feed ourselves instead of just taking instruction. This is meant to inspire. This is meant to build up and push you forward. The real growth comes in your day-to-day. The real growth comes in the day-to-day. That's where you really get built up. That's where you really learn. So if you're not in community groups, you need to be. I heard a story um, the other day. I was reading a book, and it had a story about Rick Warren. Anybody knows who Rick Warren is? Saddleback's pastor, okay? Very successful guy as far as a pastor goes, and book writer. Everybody knows Purpose Driven Life. I was reading about his life and, and talking about how, it was talking about how he started out. Um, he had graduated seminary and um, he was living in Texas and was looking around at different places, felt like God was calling him to start a church. And so he was looking at different places that were growing, you know, in the, in the world, in the United States. And he saw this Saddleback County, California, was just booming. And he's like, I saw this and it felt like God said, that's where I want you to go. I said, all right. So he packed up his family. His wife had just had a baby. Had the baby, packed up, went. Started this church in his home. Started inviting people to his home. Within one year, they had grew to 200 people. And Rick was working about 18 hours a day trying to meet everyone's needs. Trying to make sure he was teaching on the weekend, teaching Bible studies during the week, and just holding all these different meetings, he said, ultimately, I became exhausted. And he said, uh, I remember going up on the stage one day, and he said, I gripped the pulpit, and all of a sudden, I could not breathe. He said, I felt this panic and anxiety come all over me. He said, it got so bad that I never was able to even deliver the sermon I had to go sit back down and and have someone apologize to the people. He said, so I left and took a three-month sabbatical. He said, I went to Arizona. He said, all I did was just walk in the desert. He said, that's what I felt like I was at. He said, I didn't understand why. He said, things were being, were, looked successful on the outside. Growing church. Things looked great. From the outside, everybody goes, "You're, you're being so successful. He said, I was walking around out there in the desert, and all of a sudden I felt like God spoke to me and said, are you tired of doing everything on your own? You try, are you tired of just doing everything by yourself? He's like, what are you talking about, God? Well, you, you're doing all of this stuff, but yet you're worn out and you're tired. Don't you realize these people don't need you? They need me? Well, you're, really? Really? They don't ultimately don't need you. They need me. I need you to be my instrument to point them in the right direction. I don't need you telling them everything to do. He said, my perspective changed that day. He said, so I went back home. He said, and I started home groups. Because I realized I can't be in everybody's life every day. I was trying to be. He said, I realized... I have to get people healthy. I've got to create new habits in their life. I've got to change their perspective of what church even is and what God is. That it's a daily routine. And so he did. 
been very successful at that. I think last count, they had about 5,000 small groups, home groups that they have in their church, and about 20,000 people. It's a lot of small groups and a lot of people. And guess what? He probably spends more time with his family now than he did when it was 200. Because he realized it wasn't about him. It was about God. It was about Christ being glorified. It was about helping people begin to learn how to grow themselves. We have to learn how to grow ourselves. It's not about what happens here on the weekend. We get inspired. We get driven here on the weekend. But it's about growing in the day-to-day. It means so much about what we're saying to ourselves and over ourselves in our lives for any of this to ever start, though. Let's look at James. I turn to the book of James 3. We're just going to look at the first 10 verses. I like reading the first verse just for kicks and giggles. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Thank you, James, for telling me that every time I read that. I love my job. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Well, that's interesting. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Let's stop right there. Our tongue is powerful. Our mouth is powerful. Makes grand speeches, inspires people, inspires ourselves. It drives our life. It says a ship can be turned by a small rudder. Well, we've got a small tongue. But it can drive and shape who we are by what we're saying, what we're believing, because it ultimately tells us what to believe. Did you know that? What you hear ultimately tells you what to believe, and your own voice tells you more than anyone. Go back to those situations. Who talks you out of doing certain things or talks you into doing certain things? Your own voice, right? It's funny, whenever we're saved, what does it say? How do you become saved? Confess with your mouth. Why do you got to confess with your mouth? Because you're telling your brain this is what we believe now. You're rewiring yourself. You're telling yourself, Jesus came. I believe that. I am saved through faith by believing in Him. You're telling your brain, this is what we believe now. You're taking control. If you actually change everything in the Bible where it says heart, and you just say subconscious mind because subconscious mind is where everything runs through as a filter for everything that you believe. Do you know that? Think about this. As a do- think about a dog. Some people think dogs are cute and cuddly. Some people think dogs are mean and vicious. Why is that? Because of things that have happened in their life. They have a different perspective of a, do- of a dog. It's still just a dog. Because when that person sees dog, they go, I've had good experiences with a dog, 
cute and cuddly. I can pet you. The other person goes, I was attacked by a dog at a young age. You are dangerous. I'm not going to touch you. Our mind tells us what to believe. It's ultimately just a dog. But we speak those things. And we begin to rewire. It's funny. It takes about three years for a person's belief system to change. Do you know that? And psychologically, if you look at the brain, whenever a person gets saved, something happens in your brain. A rewiring begins. But you have to ultimately continue growing that or it will die. It will be choked out by the other beliefs. You have to continue to grow that. And so, it's funny that it takes three years and then Jesus walked on the earth for three years with his disciples. Ultimately, he rewired their brain. It's kind of funny. He walked three years. He, he created a whole new belief system in them. A new belief system was created. Let's keep reading here, though. But a tiny spark can set a great force on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on hot fire by hell itself. Wait a minute, our tongue is good. And then you tell me it's bad. I'm confused. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. He didn't state a question at the end. He put an exclamation mark on it. James is frustrated here. James is mad right here. He goes, this is ridiculous. The same mouth that you use to worship God, the same mouth that you use to worship our Lord and Father, you go and you curse someone at work the next day. How is this possible? How is this possible? He's aggravated. Think about it in our daily lives. Go to work. Things happen at work. Makes us aggravated. We don't deal with it. We walk in the door. Kids smil- spill something on the floor, or break something. What ultimately happens? Boom. You explode on them. Why? Because of the things that happened at work. You were aggravated. You walked in the door and you didn't check yourself at the door. I used to do this and my wife thought I was probably a little weird whenever I was doing it. But when I used to work for my dad, I would drive up to the driveway. I would park the truck and I would sit in there for about five minutes. And she'd always ask me, well, what in the world am I doing? I'm just like, ah, just chilling. Really what I was doing is I was checking myself. I was going, you know what? Figure out what happened today, where I'm at, where my emotional state is at. Am I aggravated right now? I'm going to tell myself, you know what? thing is, we're, we're, we're past that. We'll deal with it some other time. We'll deal with it later. We'll, we'll worry about that tomorrow. Right now, I need to go and spend time with my family. Go spend time with my wife, play with my kids. My mind needs to be off of this stuff. So I'm telling myself, listen. I'm letting my brain tell me, listen. 
Your kids and your wife has nothing to do with what happened at work. All right? No matter if it was good or bad. Sometimes you just have bad days at work and you just, you walk in with that. It's important to check yourself at the door and tell yourself, listen, this is not the same people. These are different people. These are people I care about. This is my wealth. I need to take care of it. I need to nurture that. I've got little ones walking behind me. If you don't think they're watching you, <laughs> watch their reactions when they get just a little bit older. And you go, where did that come from? How could you just burst out like that? There's so much evil in you. <laughs> well, who did they learn it from, Mom and Dad? Oops. They witnessed it. They learned it from you. So we have to check ourselves. One last story, we're going to go. Does anybody in here know who Tony Robbins is? Motivational speaker, okay, yeah, kind of crazy guy. Very high strung. Um, I read a story about him, and, and uh, he grew up very, very poor. And he uh, didn't have anything as a kid. And he said one day when he was 11... He says, this was a defining moment in my life. He says, what changed everything for me? He said, uh, somebody came to our door on Thanksgiving Day, and they brought our family a meal. And he said, I was like, oh, wow, a meal. This is cool. He said, but my dad kind of blew up on the person. He says, what do I look like, a charity case? He said, we didn't have any food in the house. He said, we weren't going to have a Thanksgiving meal, let alone maybe a meal the next day. He said, my dad got really, really aggravated, really mad. Said, not only did he get so upset and, and, and talk about not being a charity case, he said, he's tired of being worthless, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares about him running here. And he said, he walked out the door and I never saw him again that day. He said, where my dad's perception of that situation was someone was looking at him as a charity case. He said, I looked at the person and went, ultimately there's food. It's a good thing. He said, but his 11-year-old boy also said, a stranger cared about me. And since that stranger cared about me, they ultimately care about them. He said, so whenever I got old enough, I got a little job. He said, I made it my... my uh, desire was to feed two families that next Thanksgiving. He said, so I did. He said, the next year, I thought, let's double it. He said, so I fed four the next year. He said, then it, it kept just growing year after year. He said, then I created a, a company, and they grew up to seven companies. They grew up to a whole big foundation of all these companies working together. And I think last year, he said he fed like Two, he had like two million meals where he fed families last year. Two million. His perspective could have been one way or the other that day. But he looked and he said, you know what? Somebody cares about me and I'm going to care about people. But his dad looked at it a different way. He said, these people don't care about me. And that, as I sat there and I was thinking about that, I was like, 
wow, our perspective of things and what we say truly makes a huge difference in our reaction to things and the way that we perceive things. That person was just being nice. Ultimately changed Tony Robbins' life forever. I thought that was just a really, really neat story of how our perspective on things can just look and go, wow, how am I perceiving things? How am I talking? Not only to myself, but to others. How am I taking care of my family? Am I being the spiritual leader of my house? I hope it's Thanksgiving this week, and I hope as you're as a family sit down, um, I'm going to visit mine. I haven't seen them in a while. And uh, I hope that you look at things and go, you know what? This is my success. This is my wealth. This is my family. This is what God has blessed me with. And truly be thankful. Because me, man, I just look at that turkey and go, woo, turkey. You know, that's good. I don't know about you. I just, get, I just look at the food and go, mmm. But we forget a lot of times when we go, Look at the things that we've come through. Look at the things, even reminisce as a family. And just be thankful for the things that we have. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I want to pray for you before we leave. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this week and and for this weekend that we've had together as a church family to just, Lord, look into your word. Be challenged by it, Father. God, I pray, Lord, as we look at our own lives, the way that we're perceiving things, whether we're talking about things, about ourselves, about others, the way we're leading in our houses, in our homes, and as our spiritual leaders, God, that we would analyze all of those things and continue just to grow in those things. God, if there's people in here, Father, who say that I am really, really stuck in a situation, I don't understand how to get out. God, I believe believe that you know how. So, Father, I pray that they would look into your word, God, that they would they would look at what is causing, what is the root cause of these things and begin to deal with those things. God, I pray for everyone that's here, Father, as we leave this place, that you would give everyone a safe trip home. God, I pray for a great Thanksgiving week. Thank you so much for allowing us to live in this great country, to have such great friends and family here as a church. And just everything that we get to do as a a church body, as the body of Christ. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us and through us. So God, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.